We are in the midst of an ever escalating crisis. Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York recently said we could expect the peak of this pandemic to occur in 45 days, which means initial estimates may be correct that this extends for a few months. Now, I know you've come here to hear about what China is doing, and China poses a very serious threat to the United States. And they've recently announced they will expel several news organizations, many journalists from the United States amid concerns. They've been covering up what's really going on. They're claiming numbers are going down. Many people don't believe them. They've arrested doctors and whistleblowers, journalists. It's what the country does. Now, with the expulsion of American journalists, many people believe they may be actively trying to cover up just how bad things really are. I want to say one thing, and then I want to get into this story. But before I do, there are many naysayers and many people who might not like the president. And so I need to show you two quick segments from mainstream media, notably MSNBC and CNN. The first from The Daily Caller, Joe Scarborough tells viewers to do everything to ensure the president succeeds, going as far as to say they're critical of nearly everything he does. But in this instance, we must support the president if we're going to pull through this. And then surprisingly to me, Dana Bash of CNN said that Donald Trump is being the kind of leader that people need, calling what he's doing extraordinary. Donald Trump is doing a good job, at least for now. Though there are many critics of his early response to the coronavirus. He is seeing praise from two mainstream cable networks that absolutely rag on him day and night. Which brings me to the next point that many people may not want to hear, but I need to say the president was right about China. He issued warnings going back several years, been a part of his campaign. And now we're seeing just how truly terrifying things are getting with China. The New York Times reporting that China announces it will expel American journalists. The announcement comes weeks after President Trump limited the number of Chinese citizens who could work in the United States for five state controlled Chinese news organizations. So they're arguing it's a tit for tat. But in my opinion, based on the actions they've taken in silencing whistleblowers and putting people under house arrest, I think China is trying to cover up just how bad this really is. I also think that within our own government, there are efforts to keep things calm and downplay how bad this actually could be. Now, I'm not going to comment entirely on what we're seeing in the United States because I've done that in several other videos, but I do want to point out exactly how much of a threat China is. They've been sowing disinformation. They've been accusing the U.S. military of seeding the coronavirus and, and Chinese trolls online were spreading disinformation in Taiwan. There are now accusations that Chinese troll accounts are intentionally trying to slow the response to the coronavirus in other countries, essentially exploiting this global pandemic for Chinese national gain. It's not about the individuals or their race or ethnicity. It is about the government and their authoritarian actions. The first thing you need to understand when any when, whenever anyone tries to shut out journalists, you can hold that as particularly suspect because well, as the Washington Post likes to say, democracy dies in darkness. Now, I'm not here to, to praise many of these news organizations. I think they're worthy of criticism as well. But China, they take the cake, shutting out journalism and arresting and locking up whistleblowers. Let's read the story from the New York Times to see how bad this really is. Before we get started, however, head over to timcast.com donate if you'd like to support my work. There are several ways you can give, but the best thing you can do, share this video. I know there are many people who despise and detest the president, but I think right now we can all agree that there is reason to come together and focus on a much larger threat the U.S. faces, and that is China. So even if you disagree with me and think the president wasn't right, you think he was wrong and he's doing a terrible job, I'm, I'm, I hear you, but please listen to me as I explain to you how bad China really is. 
They have they have camps full of people. They are doing horrifying things. They are an authoritarian regime that has been barricading people in their homes. It is rather nightmarish, and they need to be called out for this. Silencing American journalists, though I'm very critical of American journalism, is ridiculously is is, is awful. It's terrifying, and it says to me they're covering this up, and we need to know why. The New York Times reports. In the latest escalation of tensions between the two superpowers, China announced on Tuesday that it would expel American journalists working for the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post. It also demanded that those outlets, as well as the Voice of America and Time magazine, provide the Chinese government with detailed information about their operations. The announcement made by China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs came weeks after the Trump administration limited the number of Chinese citizens who could work in the U.S. for five state-controlled Chinese news organizations to 100. China instructed American journalists, whose press credentials are due to expire before the end of 2020, to notify the Department of Information of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs within four calendar days starting from today and hand back their press cards within 10 calendar days. It went on to specify that the American journalists now working in China will not be allowed to continue working as journalists in the People's Republic of China, including its Hong Kong and Macau special administrative regions. The full scope of the directive was not immediately clear. In a translated statement, a Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokesman said the decisions are entirely necessary and reciprocal countermeasures that China is compelled to take in response to the unreasonable oppression the Chinese media organizations experience in the U.S. They are legitimate and justified self-defense in every sense. What the U.S. has done is exclusively targeting Chinese media organizations and hence driven by a Cold War mentality and an ideological bias. For the longest time, we have been dealing with a serious threat from China. Years ago, much way before Donald Trump ever came into politics, I was talking with numerous journalists about the excursions from China into South, into, into South America and into Africa, oil exploration, the Nicaraguan Canal, things I've brought up in the past, their pressure in the South China Sea and the, the expanding military bases in Pacific atolls. China is expanding. They are becoming a dominant economic power. And now it seems that they're trying to exploit the coronavirus for, for, for their personal gain. This story from the National Review says we are in the crisis because of the decisions of the Chinese government. Now, recently, a reporter asked Trump if he would continue to use the phrase Chinese coronavirus. I pointed out to you at the beginning of this video that there are mainstream news organizations praising Trump for his actions, for what he is doing now, saying we need to support him. Yet there are still people in the media that would call the Trump a bigot or smear conservatives for referring to the Wuhan coronavirus as the Chinese or Wuhan coronavirus, something they themselves did for several months. And, and, And I'll tell you exactly why it's happening, because it originated there. That's it. Trump was angry. He said they've been spreading disinformation, claiming that our military spread this when it in fact came from their country. The National Review says, as a country, we've got our hands full right now. But we're still sitting in various forms of self-quarantine. We and a lot of other people around the world will have a lot of time to read about the Chinese government destroying samples and suppressing information about the coronavirus in December. Chinese laboratories identified a mystery virus as a highly infectious new pathogen by late December last year, but they were ordered to stop tests, destroy samples, and suppress the news a Chinese media outlet has revealed. A regional health official in Wuhan, center of the outbreak, demanded the destruction of the lab samples that established the cause of unexplained viral pneumonia on January 1st. China did not acknowledge there was human to human transmission until more than three weeks later. 
Now in a story from Live Science just a few days ago, the first known case of coronavirus traced back to November in China. We are facing an unprecedented global pandemic. Many people are trying to downplay it, saying it's just like the flu or TB is worse. But in reality, we are looking at something serious, a novel virus, no herd immunity, a potential mortality rate of 3%, in some places even higher. And if it's true that China has been withholding information and lying about what's going on, and it is true, then we can be sure that we don't know as much as we think we do about this virus. We are going to, we are going to see extended curfews, quarantines, lockdowns, businesses across the country are being shuttered. This is life for the foreseeable future. And it could have been prevented if China was honest about what was happening. Suffice it to say, the expulsion of American journalists is going to make the situation much, much more dangerous. Live Science says, we knew about it back in November. Now we have the official statement here from China, which for the most part, I'm not going to read. I I gave you the gist of the information from uh, the, the New York Times story. Now, this is where the true threat of China starts to become visible. The expulsion of American, American journalists and the lack of information is going to make things worse. There are people in media angry, saying that Trump should not be going after them and criticizing them at a time when we need cooperation. But I don't know if that is appropriate. When you have a bully who has been lying to you from the get-go, giving them what they want won't get you what you need. In a story from Fox News four days ago, China hints at denying Americans life-saving coronavirus drugs. Now that the number of newly new people infected with coronavirus in China is slowing down, the country's Communist Party is ratcheting up threats against the West, with a particularly nasty warning about access to life-saving drug, drugs aimed at the United States. In an article in Xinhua, the state-run media agency that's largely considered the mouthpiece of the party, Beijing bragged about its handling of COVID-19 a virus that originated in the city of Wuhan and spread quickly around the world. They say uh, the article claimed that China could impose pharmaceutical export controls, which would plunge America into the mighty sea of coronavirus. You may have seen me talk about this in another video where I said Trump warned us about China and he was right. The challenge I have in producing a video like this is that there's gonna be a lot of people who just hate Trump because, well, there's a lot of reasons people hate Trump. The reality is, though, whether you like his attitude or not, whether you're concerned about his policies or not, He's been warning since before he got elected that China was a threat. For me, I've known about this because of my work in journalism. Many people who don't like him, you need to get over this because this is reality right now. China has control of our, of our manufacturing. Even Bernie Sanders has called it out. And now is the time for us to come together and recognize this. China is the real threat. We can get back to arguing about Bernie, healthcare, Biden, Trump. Once we've dealt with this virus, But so long as China is withholding information and expelling our journalists, it's going to be increasingly difficult to do. It also should show us if they're going to kick out our journalists and they're then going to say that they could even deny us medication because they control manufacturing. The threat is real. House Republicans press for hearing on threat China poses to U.S. pharmaceutical industry. There's a story from just the other day in the Washington Examiner. The good news is that with these threats, We are now seeing bipartisan support to a certain degree to call out this threat being posed to the U.S. The examiner reports Republicans on the House Oversight Committee demanded that Democrats schedule a hearing to look into the threat of relying on China for medicines used in the United States, striking a sense of urgency. A letter signed by ranking member Jim Jordan of Ohio, Rep. Chip Roy of Texas and 12 other Republicans argued the coronavirus pandemic has brought this issue to a head. The outbreak of COVID-19 has highlighted a critical threat to the domestic supply 
of life-saving prescription drugs. Too many supply chain, too many supply chains for our most critical medicines and medical devices are too dependent on China, said the letter addressed to Oversight Committee Chairwoman Carolyn Maloney. The U.S. is a leader in pharmaceutical development, yet global supply chains rely so heavily on China that the recent COVID-19 outbreak has resulted in alarming shortages in the United States. In, in uh, the last U.S. plant to make ingredients for penicillin, for example, announced it would shutter in 2004, while Chinese companies have supplied 90% of antibiotics, vitamin C, ibuprofen, and hydrocortisone to the U.S. The Chinese have been attacking America on multiple fronts for far too long to allow our critical healthcare supply chain to be utterly dependent on them. We need to look into this for options immediately, Roy told the Washington Examiner. The spread of the coronavirus has ignited a new push for the Trump administration to urge pharmaceutical companies in the country to cut their reliance on China for drugs and medical devices. Now, this is something that's kind of a bit funny as we move on and, and, and keep the focus back on what's going on as, in, as it pertains to information. First, we'll wrap up that last little bit. Trump has been warning about giving away our manufacturing. That is his, it's his thing. Trump has talked about trade, NAFTA and TPP, China. He's called it out. And now we're seeing the true danger of relying on China. They have our medicine. If they, if they pressed us, declared war or even pressed a mil- on, the mil- on a militaristic front, what could we do? If they cut off our supply, we're going to lose 90% of our medicine, our vitamin C. That's absolutely insane. Now, I know I said it's very serious. They're kicking out uh, U.S. journalists from China, but there's some bad news for Americans, sort of. While we are concerned that China is lying about what's going on, and I think they are, absolutely, we've seen evidence of it already. In a recent research study by Edelman, they found most trusted spokespeople, scientists, health, health officials, and doctors the percent who trust each information source to tell the truth about the virus. They asked people how much trust do they have in particular individuals, and they found that journalists rank the lowest when it comes to information about the coronavirus. This is a shame, but it's it's, it's a depiction of the sad state of media trust in this country. People do not trust journalists, and that is a serious problem, especially right now. And I'll tell you why. People are shocked to see MSNBC and CNN now giving support to the president because, as Joe Scarborough said, they're critical of nearly everything he does. Well, how can that be possible? Everything he does is bad. Look, I've routinely given credit for Ocasio-Cortez when she called out big tech surveillance. Elizabeth Warren, when she said these gigantic tech monopolies are, are a threat. I've agreed with them on many of these issues. And when AOC and Ted Cruz had come together on lobbying efforts, I also gave them credit. Now, they typically give the president credit on some uh, some occasions as well. But if you have a media that just absolutely these major networks hyper focused on why he's bad, of course, people won't trust you. Now, here's what's funny. Scientists and my doctor rank the highest CDC officials and who officials come next. Interestingly, a person like yourself is the is is in sixth place with 63 percent trust and journalists have 43 percent. People just don't trust the press. So look, it's really bad that China is kicking out our journalists. This is a major escalation in tensions between these two, our, our, two, our, our country and theirs. But I, I, I think even though that's a really bad thing, well, people don't trust the press. And I'll show you why. Al Jazeera, they say 
Outrage, as Trump calls the coronavirus Chinese virus. Some accuse the U.S. president of trying to deflect critics from his slow response to the outbreak. Or how about this story from Politico? Trump aids pound on China. Health experts say, please stop. The coronavirus is deepening the rift between Beijing and Washington at a time when cooperation is needed most. False claims about sources of coronavirus cause spat between U.S. and China. I'm sorry. There have been too many instances of high profile personalities and people in the media trying to defend China. And you know what? I'm never going to understand why, unless they're in the pocket of these of, of Chinese interests. We've already learned, and maybe you've seen the stories I covered in the past. Several academics are being arrested for taking cash from China and not reporting it. These people are in on the take. Dare I say it's almost espionage, though I don't think they're going that far. But some of these people are conducting research at universities and providing that information to the Chinese government, an adversarial government that has essentially exacerbated this crisis and many others. A country that has been engaging in cyber attacks, suppressing its own people, doing many, many things that are rather horrifying that I can't even talk about. And one of the latest bits from ABC News in a series of tweets Thursday and Friday, Zhao Lijian promoted the theory without evidence. I love that they do that, by the way, without evidence that the U.S. military is responsible for the pandemic by bringing it to China last October, giving new fodder for a narrative that's churned on the Chinese Internet. Security, I'm sorry, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has meanwhile branded the outbreak the Wuhan virus named the Chinese city where coronavirus first started to spread. So we understand the context of that story. But now we can go to the story from March 5th, BuzzFeed, just about two weeks ago. Chinese trolls are spreading disinformation on the coronavirus in Taiwan. Even in five years of looking at troubling disinfo every day, I'm not sure I've ever seen anything quite this malicious. This is BuzzFeed reporting this. The message appeared on Facebook at the end of February, each making the same explosive claim. Taiwan's government had lied about the number of coronavirus infections and deaths. The posts written in Mandarin claimed an unnamed Taiwanese legislator was secretly revealing the cover up. I'm really angry right now. Don't the Taiwanese deserve to know these things? I'm not going to get into the, 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 the complexities of the story. Just, I just want to point out that they're absolutely manipulating and restricting information which is making the crisis worse. These people, this government is, it's something else. It is despicable. And dare I actually say evil, what they're doing to the Uyghur Muslims and what they're doing to these other countries is horrifying. From the Guardian, one month old, back in February, doctor who exposed the SARS cover-up is under house arrest in China, family confirms. They say the Chinese military surgeon who exposed the government's cover-up of the SARS epidemic in 2003 has been under de facto house arrest since last year, according to his friends and family. The fate of 88-year-old Dr. Jiang Yanyong, a retired general in the People's Liberation Army, has been brought into the spotlight after a whistleblower. Dr. Li Wenliang, who exposed the coronavirus epidemic, died last Friday at the age of 34. Another story from the New York Times, coronavirus outrage spurs China's internet police into action. We can see that China is lying to the world about the coronavirus outbreak, and they are causing the crisis to become worse. I don't know what it would take to get people on board with what Trump has been saying about China being a serious threat, but I certainly understand it. He was right. I think for me, as someone who's covered these stories going back several years, I totally get it. And now that we're in the midst of a crisis exacerbated by the Chinese government, it's easy for us to understand just how bad it really is.
Now we're seeing the true ramifications on our electoral system. The coronavirus outbreak has made voting in Illinois today a full mess. And this is where things start getting scary. A government that knew they had an outbreak of novel virus, restricted information, arrested whistleblowers, barricaded people in their homes, and is now expelling journalists while they're sowing disinformation online and censoring speech in their own country. And it's wreaking havoc on our economy, taking a massive hit, nearly 30%, dropping 9,000 or so points, one of the worst point drops in history in a single day. Our elections are being postponed and jammed up. It is becoming a nightmare. I'm not going to play these conspiracy games and act like China did it on purpose. Some people think so. I don't. I think like any politician or any government, they're not going to let a good crisis go to waste. We're seeing some truly despicable actions, despicable actions from politicians in our own countries, trying to implement these permanent measures in response to a temporary crisis. But I think it's fair to point out China is making this worse to benefit themselves. And now we are facing the brunt of it. It's about time we listen to what Trump was saying. We bring back manufacturing to this country, which is which has been happening. We get a hold on our own medical production. We secure our borders and we stop acting like we live in a utopian society where everyone is a good guy. And we and, and, and it's about time we called out these people in media and celebrities who keep ponying up to China for whatever reason. I just don't know. I hope it made it clear to you why this threat is so serious. Maybe this video is a bit more boring than usual. But look, we got to take it seriously, whether or not you're your left, right, whatever. China is going to slowly overtake our economic control. And some people might like that, whatever. I don't. This is a country that does horrifying things. And it's about time we call them out at the very least. The United States doesn't need to be the world police, but we do need our own medicine and our own manufacturing and our own medical supplies. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCastNews, and I will see you all then. Currently trending nationwide on Twitter is hashtag Chinese virus. Because apparently Trump called the coronavirus, COVID-19, the Chinese virus sparking outrage among fake news pundits who previously called the coronavirus Chinese virus, but for some reason are now angry that Trump is saying it. Because what they do, if you haven't noticed, is the media will all start saying something. And then as soon as Trump says it, they'll flip and say, aha, now you're racist. I kid you not, though, there are people on Twitter claiming that it's racist to call the virus, which originated in Wuhan, China, the Chinese virus, even though they literally did it over and over again for months. And they're now mad other people are doing it because they have no principles and their entire business is built upon orange man bad. But I've got some really, really scary, interesting, fascinating information about the virus. See, in response to an outrage tweet from UNESCO, where they said, kind, quick reminder, viruses have no nationality. The fight against coronavirus needs science, not stigma. It calls for facts, not fear. Together, we will defeat COVID-19. I made a tweet in response to this about the Spanish flu. And no, the Spanish flu did not originate in Spain, which is kind of the point. Back in 1918, we had a pandemic. We called it Spanish flu, and it wasn't even Spanish. Guess what? It was very likely Chinese. Yet we still called it Spanish flu. And that's unfair to Spain, right? The true origins of the Spanish flu are not known, according to cursory research that I've done. I basically read Wikipedia as well as several college, university, academic, historical websites to get an understanding of what, you know, why we called it this and and what was what this was really about. My point wasn't that Spanish flu has a nationality. It's that today, Donald Trump, people in the media for the past several months, all these journalists were correctly calling this the Chinese coronavirus because it literally originated in China. 
So how are, how are you going to complain about the nationality of a virus when we, we literally call it the Spanish flu pandemic, when it didn't even originate in Spain? Yet now when we're literally calling the Chinese coronavirus, which originated in China, the Chinese virus, they're freaking out. This is what they do. It's fake outrage. They pretend to be angry so they can write articles like this. Trump sparks anger by calling coronavirus the Chinese virus. Oh, heavens me. Donald Trump has referred to the... I can't believe I'm actually reading this. He has sparked outrage for referring to coronavirus as the Chinese virus. After giving an address on Monday warning of possible recession, the U.S. president posted on Twitter, the United States will be powerfully supporting those industries like airlines and others that are particularly affected by the Chinese virus. We will be stronger than ever before. China's foreign ministry spokesman Gang Shuang said Trump should take care of his own matters first. Some U.S. politicians have tried to stigmatize China, which China strongly condemns. He said at a press briefing on Tuesday, we urge the U.S. to stop this despicable practice. We are very angry and strongly opposed to it. Meanwhile, Chinese officials are on Twitter claiming the virus originated in the United States, which is just a bald face lie. Come on. But they're, but they're still tweeting about it. And they're, and they're, they're claiming that the e-cigarette Remember, remember when everyone was smoking those nasty vitamin E, e-cig things? I think it was vitamin E. And they started getting really bad respiratory ailments because they were basically burning up their lungs. They're trying to claim that was the origin of the coronavirus among young people. Sorry, not buying it. But I, I'm going to tell you something really fascinating. I started reading about Spanish flu because, you know, everybody's talking about the name, the nationality. And I wanted to understand it. And as it turns out, Spanish flu likely did not originate in Spain. It may have mutated in the United States. It may have come from China. And so what I had to do to avoid a lot of the current political bickering was do a specific search on Google from before the outbreak ever happened. And I found a very interesting website from Stanford. Very, very fascinating. Uh, this is, this is virus.stanford.edu talking about the, uh, uh, the Spanish flu. Let me read this for you, because this is truly, truly fascinating. They say this, the origins of this influenza variant is not precisely known. It is thought to have originated in China in a rare genetic shift of the influenza virus. The recombination of its surface proteins created a virus novel to almost everyone and a loss of herd immunity. Recently, the virus has been reconstructed from the tissue of a dead soldier and is now being genetically characterized. The name of Spanish flu came from the early affliction and large mortalities in Spain, where it allegedly killed 8 million in May. However, a first wave of influenza appeared early in the spring of 1918 in Kansas and in military camps throughout the U.S. Few noticed the epidemic in the midst of the war. Wilson had just given his 14-point address. There was virtually no response or acknowledgement to the epidemics in March and April in the military camps. It was unfortunate that no steps were taken to prepare for the unusual recrudescence of the virulent influenza strain in the winter. The lack of action was later criticized when the epidemic could not be ignored in the winter of 1918. These first epidemics at training camps were a sign of what was coming in greater magnitude in the fall and winter of 1918 to the entire world. Now, the few very interesting facts here. The influenza virus mutated and became a novel which means just like the coronavirus we're seeing right now. So if you really want to understand why everyone's freaking out, is that somehow, a hundred years on, when everyone was memeing about a coming pandemic, we saw in China, very similarly, 
to the 1918 Spanish flu, the emergence of a virus which mutated, becoming novel, spreading outside their country, hitting the United States, hitting Spain, and people weren't immune to it. There was no herd immunity. Everyone was getting it. And it had a particularly high mortality rate. Now, what was strange about this, according to, I believe, according to Stanford, is that it primarily affected young people between the ages of 20 to 49. So it's not, it's not one for one. It's not the same thing. But we call it the Spanish flu. And it ain't even Spanish. It didn't even originate there. In fact, it may have actually mutated to its more deadly strain in the United States. So I decided to hop over. A lot of people have been saying to me that people are claiming, you know, that, that, that people are going to Wikipedia and changing things to try and cover up the history of the coronavirus. Now, I actually, I don't believe that to be the case at all. When I did a search of news articles and historical references going back 10 years plus, I found that typically they're all saying similar things. It may have originated in China. In fact, even Wikipedia right now puts the blame for the most part on China. Not necessarily like, look, no one's blaming the people of China for creating an act of God. It's a virus. These things happen. But it originated there and it very well may have originated there in 1918. No one's calling the Spanish flu the Chinese flu. I mean, they're calling it Chinese now because it originated in Wuhan. I, I don't think that has anything to do with the people. It's identifying the virus based on the region. And so what? But let me read something for you from the Wikipedia page. Now, I did something interesting. I went and took a look at different iterations of the Wikipedia page throughout the past several months as the Chinese coronavirus thing started happening. Oh, now they're going to get mad at me, too. I started looking at the changes that were made. And in fact, it seems like the edits to Wikipedia have actually called out China even more. So in the past, before there was this pandemic, they didn't mention, for the most part, I mean, they did mention China. But now they've actually gone on to, to, to bring up a lot more about it. What's interesting is the general theory, I, I should read it for you, the hypothesis is that the dense living conditions and, you know, poor hygiene, like poor, like, you know, polluted and dense uh, uh, living conditions in China resulted in a mild flu virus, which they developed a minor immunity to. So when it mutated in other in other areas in the States and in Spain and in Europe, they already had a partial immunity to it. So they weren't hit as bad as the rest of the world. This may be actually happening right now. Check this out. History about the source. They say historian Alfred W. Crosby stated the flu originated in Kansas. And popular author John Barry described Haskell County, Kansas as the point of origin. It has also been stated that by late 1917, there had already been a first wave of the epidemic in at least 14 U.S. military camps. The major U.K. troop staging and hospital camp in Etopolis in France has been theorized by many by researchers as being the center of the Spanish flu. The research was published in 1999 by a British team led by virologist John Oxford. In late 1917, military pathologists reported the onset of a new disease with high mortality that they later recognized as the flu. The overcrowded camp and hospital was an ideal site for the spreading of the respiratory virus. The hospital treated thousands of victims of chemical attacks and other casualties of war, and 100,000 soldiers passed through the camp every day. It was also home to a piggery and poultry was regularly brought in for food supplies from surrounding villages. Oxford and his team postulated that a significant precursor virus harbored in birds mutated and then migrated to pigs kept near the front. One of the few regions of the world seemingly seemingly less affected by the 1918 flu pandemic was China, where there may have been a comparatively mild flu season in 1918. They say, although this is disputed, see around the globe. 
there were relatively few deaths from the flu in China compared to other regions of the world. This has led to speculation that the 1918 flu pandemic originated from China. The relatively mild flu season and lower rates of flu mortality in China in 1918 may be explained due to the fact that the Chinese population had already possessed acquired immunity to the flu virus. In 1993, Claude Hanon, the leading expert on the 1918 flu for the Pasteur Institute, asserted the former virus was likely to have come from China. It then mutated in the United States near Boston and from there spread to Brest, France, Europe's battlefields, Europe and the world with allied soldiers and sailors as the main disseminators. He considered several other hypotheses, hypotheses of origin, such as Spain, Kansas and Brest as being possible, but not likely. Political scientist Andrew Price Smith published data from the Austrian archive suggesting the influenza had earlier origins beginning in Austria in early 1917. In 2014, historian Mark Humphreys argued that the mobilization of 96,000 Chinese laborers to work behind the British and French lines might have been the source of the pandemic. Humphreys of the Memorial University of Newfoundland in St. John's based, in, based his conclusions on newly unearthed records. He found archival evidence that a respiratory illness that struck northern China in November 1917 was identified a year later by Chinese health officials as identical to the Spanish flu. A report published in, the 26, in 2016 in the Journal of the Chinese Medical Association found no evidence that the 1918 virus was imported to Europe via Chinese and Southeast Asian soldiers and workers. It found evidence that the virus had been circulating in the European armies for months and possibly years before the 1918 pandemic. Now, I can't tell you definitively. What I can say is that at least Stanford has speculated that it may have originated in China where it was mild they developed a, 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 uh, an immunity to it. It then went on to mutate to become more deadly in other parts of the world, which then they still had some immunity to, so they weren't really impacted by it. That's one speculation. However, you could argue that a mild flu is, you know, it's not their fault. And it was the squalid conditions of the people in these camps in Europe and the war, which led to the rapid spread. So although the virus originated there and went on to mutate, the problem really seems to, uh, to me, I think it's fair to criticize at the time, well, I don't, I don't want to criticize. I think, I think, look, we were in, it was World War I. People were desperate. They were fighting and war is bad. And this resulted in dense, gross conditions where people were suffering and they were desperate. And in this poor, high, you know, low hygiene situation, the virus became particularly deadly and spread very, very quickly. But what I think is fascinating about this is that even the 1918 Spanish flu was, is, is, is part of this constant argument over who was responsible nearly 100 years later. You still have people in China saying, no, 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 there is no evidence we had anything to do with this. You have people in the US saying, actually, it seems like it may have originated in China. You have people in Europe saying it may have originated in US and China. China's blaming the US. So you see how the game is played. Nobody wants to take responsibility for the viruses, but I'll tell you what. Why are we blaming, blaming Spain? That's the funniest thing to me. They're going to rag on Donald Trump for calling it the Chinese virus. The Spanish flu didn't even come from Spain. In fact, to make things worse, they call it the Spanish flu pandemic because it was more, it, it hit them particularly hard. So I'll tell you this. I've got two good reasons why we should call this the Chinese coronavirus or the Wuhan virus. Well, actually, I got three good reasons. The first is because it hit them particularly hard and fast just like Spanish flu, not nearly as bad. I think our, our, our medical technology advances as well as communication technology is really helping us keep things controlled. The other issue is that it originated there. 
It came from Wuhan. That's where we first identified it. So when we call it the Wuhan virus or the Chinese coronavirus, we are not doing that because we don't like Chinese people. Stop lying, you morons. We're doing it because we're identifying the region. That's it. It started there. It spread around the world. And there are concerns about it. But of course, we've got tons of articles. Mother Jones, we shouldn't need to explain why Trump's Chinese virus tweet is wrong. But here we are. Oh, shut up, man. You know, look at that. Look at MRC TV. 35 times the media said Wuhan or Chinese coronavirus, but they blame the GOP. There you go. Let me give you the third reason why I think it's fair to call it the Chinese coronavirus or the Wuhan virus. The Communist Party of China, the authoritarian dictatorship that was welding people into their home, barricading their doors. I haven't actually seen anybody welding it, but I've heard stories. But we've actually seen the video of them taking giant metal bars, blocking their doors, coming back later and finding people, you know, collapsed on the ground. They are a nightmarish authoritarian dictatorship. They are oppressing so many people. They have camps. They do not deserve the government. I'm not talking about the people. Okay. The government of this country is, is inept, is corrupt. They have lied from the start and they expect us to believe them. In the beginning, they tried covering this up. They were arresting doctors and journalists, people who were blowing the whistle. And if we got information about this before it started, perhaps we could have stopped the whole thing. Now I'm stuck in my house, sort of. I mean, you you can go out. But there's some videos emerging where people are, are, are saying, there's a video I saw of dudes getting out of a police vehicle in hazmat suits and arresting someone. Now, some people are claiming it's for breaking quarantine, but you see people riding bikes and doing stuff and driving cars. So I'm not, I'm not entirely convinced that's the case, but it may be. It may be non-essential individuals can't go outside in certain parts of the world. San Francisco's got six, the Bay Area, six counties under a shelter in place mandate. Restaurants are, are being shut down. People are being hurt by this. And it's, and it's, it's kind of extreme. And perhaps when this information emerged, if China just said, yo, we need international help on this one, let's lock down. Maybe we could have stopped it because I want to make sure I, I drive this point home. What Stanford said in this article, which I believe is from 2010, is that an influenza variant may have originated China in a rare genetic shift. A recombination of surface proteins created a virus novel to almost everyone and a loss of herd immunity. Sounds familiar, right? That's what I want to drive home. It seems like we had a chance to prevent the next Spanish flu wave, and maybe we'll do a good job of stopping it. If we knew about it last time, we had better communication technology, perhaps we could have stopped the Spanish flu dead in its tracks. But we had a war going on, and this was in between another war. We had people jammed in camps. We had our communication technology was not that good. You know, I mean, you could, to a certain degree, send fast messages, but come on, you can't compare it to today. We all got cell phones and the internet. I'm sure someone in China is watching this video right now. With that, we have an opportunity for, for China to come out and say this, according to research from Stanford and other historians, may be a similar scenario. Now, a hundred years on, it may be the same thing where a virus has become novel through a mutation, jumping from bat potentially to humans. And this means there's no herd immunity. Everyone's going to get this. It's got a it's, its mortality rate is 10 to, to 30 times higher than the flu. And if we knew about it, we could have done this isolation much, much more quickly and prevented many of the deaths. I'm going to leave you with one thing. There's a lot of people talking about other diseases. And there's one I think is very notable is tuberculosis. 
because around the world, it's, it's, you know, there's a very, very, uh, there's a very high death toll. In the United States in 2018, there were 9,000 cases of TB. We already have 4,100 uh, 4, cases of the coronavirus in the US, and it's likely much, much higher. And we're likely going to see substantially more infected. Uh, more people are going to be infected and many, many more deaths. So to the, there are people out there trying to compare this to other diseases, and I don't think you really can. There's one thing you need to understand about this that we can see from what made the Spanish flu so deadly. It was novel. That's the point that needs to be driven home. We, we saw it 100 years ago. We see it again. And those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it. Maybe now this will be a lesson to everybody. Maybe now when you call it the Chinese coronavirus, people, I don't know, should pay attention to why we do the origins and the lies from their government. And it's not a reflection on the people, the Chinese people. It's China's government that needs to be called out. And maybe we should stop calling the Spanish flu, I guess. I don't know. That's just history. It's what we call it. The people of Spain were hit hard by it. They get the blame, I guess. But I'll leave it there. In the end, I don't care if you're mad at me for calling it the Wuhan virus or the China virus. Literally means nothing to me when you complain on the internet. So bravo. You've screeched into the wind and I've not paid attention. I don't read my mentions anyway, so I'll see you all at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out. Earlier today, Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York made an announcement. Hospitalizations for those with the coronavirus are at 15 to 19 percent. He told us the other day that of the 3,000 ICU beds, 80 percent were already occupied, which seems to be fairly normal. This means we can expect our hospitals to reach capacity at a certain point. He went on to say that we don't have nearly enough beds. We will need double the hospital beds for what's to come. He then went on to say something that absolutely freaked me out. I'm not going to lie that the peak of the coronavirus pandemic will be in 45 days, which means we can expect this to finally end in potentially 90 days. Now, I'm not saying that's absolutely true. Maybe the peak will hit in 45 days and it will fall much faster than it rose. I just don't know. But if the, the graphs we've seen from the Washington Post, the calculators, calculators in the New York Times show that there will be a peak and then a drop in a nearly symmetrical fashion, meaning I think it stands to reason we're in this for the long haul, potentially three months. And this, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie, has me absolutely freaked out. The one thing that you must always remember, never panic. You need to think calmly, strategize, be rational, and come up with a real plan for what you plan, you are going to do moving forward. We've already seen panic buying, which is not helping anybody. Go out and get your supplies if you haven't already. This is getting much, much worse. And Andrew Cuomo has said you can expect more drastic measures, more closures. In New Jersey, I'm already under what they're calling a strongly recommended curfew, though it is being reported by some as a straight up curfew and residents are not to leave their homes after 8 p.m. In France, you need documentation to leave your home. And they were hit hard. They were hit sooner than us. It's entirely possible that as this gets worse and as the numbers increase, we will see ever increasing draconian measures. First and foremost, do not let these people enact anything permanent. Keep that in mind. There's already people aching for that permanent power. Surprisingly, now we're seeing a rather bipartisan effort to implement some kind of major stimulus to provide thousands of dollars to families and people who are put out of work by this. But before we move forward with some of these stories that I want to show you, I want to show you what Andrew Cuomo is saying. I need to make sure you understand why this virus is so serious. Earlier today, 
I talked about Spanish flu and why it was silly that people were claiming Trump was being bigoted or conservatives were bigoted for calling the, the, the coronavirus the Chinese coronavirus. In this article from Stanford, they talk about the mortality rate of the Spanish flu and they talk about uh, the fact that it was a novel virus. We are facing something very similar today, albeit there are different circumstances. We have the internet. So keep that in mind. We have better medical technology. And there was a war going on at the time. But here's what they wrote in 1997. Now, this is significant for two reasons. The first is that this was written well before any of this current political stuff started happening. There are a lot of people who want to politicize this or, or, or make you scared with viral rumors or lie or manipulate information for political gain. This is from Stanford. And it was written in 1997 and apparently updated a bit in 2005, well before any of this happened. Also keep in mind, though, the other significant factor is that it could be out of date. You know, we may have learned new things and it's very likely we did. But they mention the Spanish flu had a profound virulence with a mortality rate at 2.5% compared to the previous influenza epidemics, which were less than 0.1. That's actually what we've been seeing now. The flu has a 0.1% mortality rate, and the coronavirus globally is at 3.7. Naturally, this is for older people. The Spanish flu, for a lot of factors, primarily affected younger people. It's a a particularly complicated story. But they go on to mention that this was a novel virus, meaning that people didn't have herd immunity. That is why everyone is freaking out right now. Please keep that in mind. But let's take a look at first with Europe, and then the latest update, what's happening now with Andrew Cuomo from the Washington Examiner. We are at war with coronavirus. France requires documentation to leave your house. We may very well get to that point. And that's going to be really, really scary. I hope at this point you're paying attention. Look, there's a lot of people on TV. There's a lot of pundits and personalities who are going to try and convince you the markets are great. You should buy. They're going to try and convince you everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. It may be the case. I, I, I personally think we're going to get through this. But I'm also not going to, to lie or pretend. I'm actually decently worried. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily, well, maybe scared might be a good word for it. But I'm not like freaking out or anything. I'm sitting here in my house doing things like normal, albeit we went out and bought supplies a long time ago. So naturally, I'm not particularly worried about it. My business operates at home, although we are expecting everyone to take a major economic hit for a lot of reasons. And there are crazy videos of people raiding stores. I'm, I'm a bit worried. Okay, I'm, I'm getting close to, you know, freaking out a little bit, a little bit. I'm not going to I'm not going to act like, you know, I don't know, some of these plastic people on TV. I'll, I'll be honest. This story has me worried. And what Andrew Cuomo said has me worried as well. And I think if you're not worried, you're probably not paying attention. And there are a lot of people still still downplaying the severity of this. After announcing a 15 day lockdown for the entire country to contend with the coronavirus outbreak, The French government enacted a policy that mandates French citizens stay inside their homes unless they have official documentation stating a reason to be outside. French President Emmanuel said on Tuesday, the paperwork was necessary after French citizens refused to stay inside. We are at war, said Macron repeatedly during a speech on Tuesday. All French citizens from Paris to Marseille are required to download and fill out a form with their name, birthday and reason for going outside. If persons are caught outside without the form, police throughout the country have been authorized to levy fines as punishment. The system is similar to the one instituted in Italy. People are out and about because they have to be. They have to prove it to the police, said Jim Bitterman, CNN's senior international correspondent. 
There are 130 checkpoints in Paris alone. On Monday, Interior Minister Christophe Castaner said more than 100,000 officers would be dispersed throughout the country in an effort to enforce the new restrictions. Castaner told people to stay at home and added that the fines for abusing the restriction would range between 90 to $150, up to 135 euros. Yellow vest protests, which emerged because of a fuel tax rise in 2018 and have raged since, continued this weekend as thousands turned out in Paris only a day after Castaner banned public gatherings of more than 100 people. In the U.S., President Trump recommended people not gather in groups of more than 10 and suggested the virus could linger up until late summer. The novel coronavirus has killed more than 7,000 people worldwide and has infected more than 180,000. There's a reason why I read you that Stanford article before showing you this. A lot of people see these numbers and say only 7,000 worldwide. It's not a lot. It's it's increasing exponentially. And we are trying to stay in front of this. That is the point. If we do nothing or make the same mistakes they made 100 years ago, which I think is very unlikely, this could become a historical deadly pandemic. For now, it is a historical moment. This is something that we're going to remember for a long time. And we're going to look back and think about what we did before this got bad. To, and, and, and hopefully we do the right thing. Otherwise, it'll get really bad. And we'll look back and say, if only we did more. I can't tell you what to expect or, or what should or shouldn't happen. But I can tell you that the government of New York is taking this very, very seriously. Now, I live in New Jersey. As I mentioned earlier, I'm under curfew. New York has said, expect more dramatic measures. Governor Cuomo said more dramatic closings and are possible going forward as officials continue their attempts to flatten the curve. The governor said more coordination with regional states remains a possibility. Italy got to the point where the only thing left open were grocery stores and pharmacies, Cuomo said. We're not there yet, but I'm telling you, we have to get down the point. We have to get we have to get down the point of spread. As of Tuesday, the governor said no new closure rules would be enacted. But going forward, more forced statewide closures would be a possibility. There's a lot of people right now tweeting scary things. There's one guy with a tweet going viral from the USDA, basically saying they may start rationing food. And that is that is unnecessary. And that is freaking people out. But I'll tell you this, as much as some people might criticize me for bringing it up, it's out there. It's going viral. And it's better that people know and understand than just ignore these things. But one of the points being made is that these measures enact, are being enacted because young people are ignoring what's happening. There's a lot of complicated history with the Spanish flu. But one of the things they mentioned was that there was a previous flu pandemic, which gave some older people herd immunity or partial immunity, which made them less susceptible to the Spanish flu. Younger people didn't have this. And so they were hit substantially. They were hit much harder. But what's pointed out in the history of the Spanish flu is that the first wave did was was primarily targeting the elderly. And then in August, a second wave hit, which went after young people and younger people are not paying attention. They're laughing. They're joking. You even have the jokes about the boomer remover. They're not taking this seriously. I can't I can't tell you what to say or what to think. I'll just let you know that's what's happening. The governor said he spoke with President Donald Trump Tuesday morning about more resources for the state. The government government cannot meet this crisis without the resources and capacity of the federal government. I spoke to the president this morning. He is ready and willing and able to help. As of Tuesday morning, there are 14 confirmed cases in Monroe County. 79 are in mandatory quarantine locally. Mandatory quarantines are here. Hard lockdowns are here. Businesses are businesses are being told to close and and restaurants can only provide takeout in the tri-state area, which is New Jersey, New York and Connecticut. 
These these actions are already being implemented across the country. Many of you acted early. I went out months ago and bought supplies. That's that's maybe why I'm not super concerned. I can only imagine there are a lot of people who laughed at this and ignored it. And now with these measures being implemented, realize they have no supplies and those people are going to panic. So what more can I say? Cuomo announced Monday the state mandated closure of businesses, restaurants, bars, schools, and more in an effort to contain the spread of the virus. Our primary goal right now is to slow the spread of this virus so that the wave of new infections doesn't crash our healthcare system. And everyone agrees social distancing is the best way to do that, Governor Cuomo said in a press release. There, there will be more updates soon. As of the filming of this, the president is actually giving a, a statement on what's happening. So I'll have some more updates later today. But I'd like to show you something that a lot of people are actually kind of, they're kind of freaking out about. This is a man named Robert Caruso. He is a verified Twitter user. And it says, his, his bio says, can do civil servant USDA, former Department of Defense and Federal Reserve in Washington, D.C. I don't know who he is, but Twitter has verified him and his bio says what it says. Someone tweeted, if you are not already obsessed with your constitutional rights, this is a good time to become so. They make power grabs during times of crisis. This is 100% correct. People are already trying to institute what they call, emer- what, well, what we jokingly call emergency socialism. Now, there has been bipartisan support for a ma- major stimulus and bailout of the American people. No opinion from me. I understand why they need it. And I think a lot of industries are getting hit by this. I am not completely insulated from economic downturn, though I work from home and I produce information. You know, I do commentary on the internet. I am admittedly not going to feel it the same way a restaurant or a server or a waiter is going to feel this. So I understand why they're calling for these provisions. However, in Spain, it's being reported they've nationalized the entire private portion of their healthcare system. I don't know the full details, so fact check me on that one. But we can see this is a point when governments move in and take action. Now, there's, what you need to consider is that sometime the action is absolutely a good thing. This is what governments are supposed to be doing. But temporary emergency powers must remain temporary. Never let these people try and seize power because we are scared or worried or need to move quickly. Now, this man, Robert Cruz, said power grabs. I can't believe you have an Italian surname, I, whatever that means. There were thousands of people in bars this weekend. Who's being oppressed? List them, point them out. The man responded, again, reading comprehension failure. You may have some incomprehensible reason for finding it difficult to believe I am Italian, but I am not at all surprised that you're a government flunky. I'm not here to, criti- to, to comment on the, the, the feud between these two people. I don't care. But Caruso went on to say, this is happening whether you like it or not. There will be curfews, freedom of assembly restricted, and boy, it was not wise to snap at me. If it gets really bad, food will be rationed. Take a wild guess which department would ration the food. Is he trying to imply that as someone working for the USDA, he is going to decide who gets to eat and who doesn't? I don't know, but that's what people are saying. And it is a scary thing to see coming from someone working in the government. But I'll tell you what right now, what's got me really worried. Donald Trump yesterday, this could go to July or August. Cuomo today, 45 days until we hit the peak. Amazon has announced they are suspending non-essential deliveries. Amazon's whole food delivery no longer delivers. As far as I can tell, I went to the site, tried to see maybe I can order some, some extra supplies. You cannot. 
There are videos emerging from just the other day of lines of hundreds of people outside of Costco. And I'm going to I'm going to tell you, man, listen, I am not someone who is here to try and incite a reaction, get an emotional rise, nor am I here to pretend like everything is perfect and just, you know, you can mosey along like everything's fine. Naturally, there have been people who have criticized me saying that I'm inciting the panic and all that stuff. Don't care. There's nothing that I could or couldn't do. The information is out there. The reactions are there. The best I can do is inform you and tell you. It is a fact that if you keep a sound mind and draw out your plans, you are substantially more likely to survive any kind of crisis. I don't know how bad this will get. I am personally becoming worried. I'm freaking out a little bit, a little bit. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you like some people would want me to because they're concerned about a potential for panic or what the media does or doesn't do. I don't know. I'm talking to you like I would talk to any one of my friends. This is what I think is happening. So we're going to make sure we have our supplies and we're taking this very, very seriously. And as I mentioned on the podcast last night, Timcast IRL podcast, you may have seen it. I built a van for mobile production. It's fully equipped. As these lockdowns become more and more severe, there comes a point where I hop in that van and I take off. I don't know where that will be, but I will, I will, I will tell you for now, it is not the time or place to be thinking about things like this. The, the mayor of New Jersey has called on people who live here to, to work together to get through this and prevent a massive virulent spread. He said, we need everybody to do this. And you know what? I think we need some community right now. And I think we need to come together, drop the partisan bickering and do our best to say, you know, we need to take action on our own to contribute to the greater good. I have absolutely no problem abiding by a curfew, not going out because I understand why it's why it's necessary. I'm glad that in the United States, we are not arresting and fining people. And I hope that remains the case. If you are not, as this man said, already obsessed with what constitutional rights you have, I recommend you actually actually start looking this stuff up right now, because now is the time. I'm, I'll, I'll end by saying a couple more things, man. A couple months ago, you know, when I started tracking this and watching it emerge, my first reaction was like, meh, not going to be that bad. We've seen stuff like this before. Within a couple of weeks, I was, or I think even like a week, I was like, okay, I was wrong. It's definitely getting bad. I remember when I reported that Italy had a few isolated cases. I remember then when I reported a week later that Italy was now locking down northern parts of the country. And then when they got fully locked down, and now they have over 20 plus thousand, 25 more thousand people infected. And the death rate in Italy is at six, I believe it's around six or seven percent. Last number I checked was 7.1 percent. Italy has a, ver- has a much older population. So there's a lot of factors as to why they're being hit so hard. Governor Cuomo has made it clear this will, will only be getting worse. If the virus continues to spread and peaks within 45 days, then I think it's fair to say in the next 45 days, expect more harsh measures, lockdowns, quarantines, curfews, etc. Maybe even a hard curfew. I couldn't imagine being in France right now, needing documentation to leave your own home. France, and, and they're not just talking about the big cities, it seems. They're talking about even rural areas. So I don't know what to tell you, man. I'll just tell you what I told you and I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. at youtube.com slash Timcast. That is a different channel. And I will see you all then. There is now bipartisan support for some kind of cash stimulus to go into the pockets of Americans amid the glowing pandemic crisis. The latest from Daily Mail, Trump wants immediate cash handouts for Americans. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin says everyone will get more than $1,000 within two weeks. 
once he strikes Senate deal and tax payments are deferred for 90 days to not only will you get hard cash in your pockets, but you don't got to pay your taxes for an additional three months, which is kind of incredible. And it seems like, again, there's bipartisan support for this. Now, there's been a back and forth between whether or not we should do a thousand bucks per month, an upfront cash payment. But I will say a lot of people are calling this universal basic income. It's not. We've seen a stimulus before. Barack Obama, did you remember, remember that thing? I got a check in the mail. I didn't even know why. Congratulations. I pay. I, I, I deposit it. I think I went and bought some clothes or something. This would be the same thing. We're going to be dealing with a couple of months of an economic slowdown. So this is not universal basic income. It's a credit of some sort. Plus, people are already paying into the taxes anyway. The Daily Mail reports, Donald Trump wants to send cash to Americans suffering from the coronavirus crisis immediately. The payroll tax holiday would get money to people over the next six to eight months. We're looking to send checks to Americans immediately, explained Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin in the press briefing room. Americans need cash now, and the president wants to give cash now. Reminds me of that. that, What's that commercial? It's your money. Use it when you need it or whatever. And I mean now in the next two weeks, Mnuchin added. Precise details weren't announced at the press conference. Mnuchin said he was previewing the plan with Capitol Hill Republicans and would reveal more later, but he suggested the amount could be more than $1,000. There would also be some income cutoffs. You don't need to send people who make a million dollars a year checks, he said. That's that's a, a, a big pushback to the UBI proponents who are saying every adult should get $1,000. I completely disagree with that. I think it should be a sliding scale. If you're doing really well, if your business is insulated, you don't need this. If you are struggling because you're a server or you're you know, lower income, you should get more. Trump said of his administration's stimulus plans were going big. The economy has spiraled since the coronavirus outbreak reached American shores. In Ohio alone, unemployment claims went from 6,500 to 45,000 this week, according to numbers given to reporters by Senator Rob Portman's office. Trump is going to light this up. This is really, really bad. Unemployment numbers are spiking to a terrifying and absurd degree. And if there's one thing that's going to be really bad for Trump's reelection, it is this. The economy is taking a nosedive. So I can only assume Trump's going to want to light that economy back up by dumping money right into it. After his meeting with Senate Republicans on Capitol Hill Tuesday, Mnuchin floated that the White House wanted to see $1 trillion injected into the American economy. Mnuchin said this would be a combination of loans and direct checks, like the ones he described at the White House earlier. Beyond giving cash to Americans, Mnuchin said tax payments can also be deferred. The White House sped up its embrace of of a universal basic income-like stimulus after economic advisor Larry Kudlow told DailyMail.com Monday the administration might get behind new proposals to give cash to American households. Utah Republican Senator Mitt Romney on Monday announced that he was for a plan to give American workers $1,000 each month during the outbreak. That is not universal basic income. It's effectively unemployment insurance, something we already have. Now, because this crisis is wide reaching and basically affecting everybody, it would probably be less of a bureaucratic nightmare to just give everyone a thousand bucks a month. But that plan, in my opinion, is short sighted for the you know aforementioned reasons that some people just don't need it. But some people need more. So there's been a, a call to give families, you know, uh, adults more than this couple thousand, but to actually give a thousand dollars per child so that kids could have special, you know, their clothing and their needs met. We'll see how this works. But I want to make sure it's clear to all of you. This isn't what, what, what I view as it, they're trying to shoehorn in socialist ideals during a crisis. 
This is not universal basic income. That is very, very different. This is an emergency dramatic influx of cash, which will lead to rapid inflation. But because it's temporary and only only over a few months, it's something we can likely afford to do because the alternative is worse. If we implemented a permanent UBI program, you would see something much, much worse. We are right now looking at people who want to work and can't, not people who are unwilling to work demanding money from the government, which essentially means you. We also urgently need to build on this legislation with additional action to help families and small businesses meet their short-term financial obligations, ease the financial burden on students entering the workforce, and protect health workers on the front lines and their patients by improving telehealth services, the Utah senator said in a statement the Salt Lake Tribune reported. I will be pushing these measures as Senate discussions continue about continue about an additional relief package, he added. They're now, you know, everyone's pointing to Andrew Yang. I, I, I want to I bring something up, though. I don't know if you, you guys have ever seen Battlestar Galactica. Awesome show, by the way. I'm not going to get into too much details, but basically of a fleet of ships, their planet has been destroyed and the people on these ships are trying to survive. Some people who handle this like mineral mining and production for energy for the ships are working around the clock nonstop because if they don't, the ships will not function and everyone will die. Meanwhile, there are other people who are milling about going to the lounge or having nice, comfortable quarters. This I know it's fiction, but we're seeing something akin to this right now where healthcare workers are working overtime, double time, triple time to try and save lives and make sure we don't fall into chaos. Meanwhile, other people, through no fault of their own, are unemployed and they can't work right now. This is the big problem with UBI. You cannot mandate that some people have to work overtime while others get paid. The people who are doing this healthcare work are going to get paid too, and they'll get some money. But think about what's going to end up happening. I wouldn't be surprised if many of the healthcare workers quit. And I don't mean because they're giving up or anything, but listen, man, it's a tough job. They're going to get stressed out and they're going to say, I just can't do it anymore. Some will probably quit. But think about how you would exacerbate that. If you said you have to do this job, these people can't. So but we're going to give them money anyway. Eventually, look, I know some a lot of people on the left will say just because you're being helped doesn't mean I'm being hurt. That's a good point. But they're going to look at the options. Should I break my back, you know, 20 hours a day or just go and relax and take my take my UBI and, and chill because this is too much for me to handle? People might start working less. There are serious threats to this and risks when you realize some jobs cannot be, some jobs are are, are requirements for our society to function. Now, former Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang made uh, made cash payments to Americans central to his run. Yang was promoting the concept of universal basic income and said Americans should get $1,000 a month, $12,000 annually to keep people out of poverty. It's, it's, look, man, Andrew Yang should not have promoted it as UBI because he was initially talking about a dividend from the profits of major corporations, which is slightly different. But you can't just print money out of poverty. Venezuela tries doing this. It doesn't work. You can't because economics isn't uh, the, the base of our economic system is not the dollar. It's the minimum labor and the amount of value someone's willing to give for that labor. He dubbed his payment the Freedom Dividend. Yang, now a CNN commentator, reacted to the White House proposal Tuesday. Well, I'm thrilled that we're doing the right thing. It's vital to help tens of millions of Americans, uh, American families keep their heads above water at this time, Yang said. So I'm getting cash into American families' hands. Uh, so getting cash into American America's families' hands is 100% the right move. 
Yang suggested that American adults get $1,000 a month. And if they have children, an additional $500 per child. Interesting. Yang also revealed that his team has been uh, his team has been working with the White House to provide them with studies on what cash in hand proposals could accomplish. Rep. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, one of the most progressive members of Congress, reacted positively to the White House's proposal, but she also suggested that student loan payments be postponed. I completely agree with that as well. Look, man, some people, you know, there's the joke, emergency socialism and things like that. And you got to be real careful. They're going to try and implement these things permanently. They've already tried. Don't let them do it. Temporary measures make absolute sense. But this is my biggest gripe with government. They'll create a program that never ends. That is not how it's supposed to work. When the usefulness is no longer is no longer there, it's not required, it needs to shut down. In the private sector, this happens. In the, in the public sector, it doesn't. So when a business opens and it eventually becomes obsolete, it ceases to exist. But when a, when a government program starts and they try and make it permanent and it becomes permanent, then instead of saying it's no longer useful to us, they say, well, it's not working properly, pump it full of cash. And they keep just pumping more uh, blood, lifeblood into these systems that should have died a long time ago. AOC said, now we must suspend student loan uh, payments. She tweeted Tuesday, suspending interest does nothing. If people still have to pay out the same amount in principle, we need to suspend student loan payments for three to six months to give people wiggle room to afford food necessities. So uh, Donald, I praised the president for this. He suspended interest rates and that was the right move. But you know what? I got to say AOC is right on this one. If people aren't working, they can't pay back anything. And it's because of government mandated shutdowns of business. It's because they're telling us not to go outside. Well, something's got to be done to make sure these people aren't going to be placed underwater. That would be worse for the economy. So maybe deferment. That's what she's proposing. I actually think suspending the interest rates, some kind of interest rate, you know, forgiveness makes a lot of sense in the in the long term. Maybe this is the time where we need to say we're going to suspend, you know, they're doing moratoriums on evictions and rent payments. We got to come together on this one. We got to figure it out. It's going to be a big strain on us, but I, it's, 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 it's figurative wartime, right? This is the time when Americans need to come together and figure out how we can all make this work for each other. My only concern as per their proposals is anyone who tries to make it permanent, that I will reject. But for the time being, I can't say I'm opposed to these policies because there are a lot of people hurting right now. I'll leave it there. Stick around. I got a couple more segments coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. And what I can only describe as a holy moment, I'm I'm not going to swear, but I can pretend like I'm going to swear. California, Ohio, and Illinois release hundreds of inmates early to decrease the prison population during coronavirus crisis, while some districts say they will not pursue prosecutions for low-level crimes. Yikes, man. This is the kind of stuff that's starting to freak me out. Our elections are in shambles. That's the next segment I'm going to do. Our prisons are releasing people. Businesses are being shut down. Dare I say, if anything was going to freak me out, it's this. Because if you're, we saw what happened in San Francisco when they said they're not really going after low level crimes, crimes dramatically increased. You're now going to have a bunch of people who are scared, hungry, not trusting of the government, and them then saying low level crimes are not going to be prosecuted. What do you think people are going to do when they hear that? At a time of crisis, no less. Look, when they went out in San Fran and said, we're not going to go after these crimes, people went out and committed crimes. Combine that with a crisis. And I think this is scary stuff, man. The Daily Mail reports 
Prisons in California, Illinois, and Ohio are releasing hundreds of inmates early to decrease prison populations in an effort to combat the potential spread of coronavirus among inmates. As of Tuesday morning, no prison in the United States has reported a case of COVID-19, but many county, state, and federal jails and courthouses are beginning to take preventative measures to ensure the safety of inmates. Inmates are considered high risk because of their inability to social distance from others and their limited access to basic hygiene measures. In response, Los Angeles County in California, Cuyahoga County in Ohio, and Cook County in Illinois have released or are planning to release inmates to allow for more space of social distancing and self-isolation. In Brooklyn, low-level crimes will also not be prosecuted to limit potential exposure to the virus for employees and visitors. Los Angeles County has decreased its prison population by 600 people to combat the potential spread of the coronavirus among inmates. And come on, man, California is already in trouble for so many reasons. Look, man, I can't say that the prisons are wrong to do this. I don't know what to do. I am not the expert. I can only tell you that if things are getting this bad, I'm I'm starting to freak out a little bit. Early release is being granted to those with less than 30 days in their sentence. Okay, okay. That's not so bad. That's not so bad. Reducing inmates from 17,076 to 16,459 since the end of February. The LA County Sheriff is also asking officers to cite and release offenders when possible, which has reduced the daily number of arrests from 300 to 60. The moves in LA County, where there are 94 coronavirus cases and one death, have seen daily arrests drop from 360. Sheriff Alex Villanueva said Monday at a news conference. He added that the aggregate bond amount for people to be booked also went up from 25,000 to 50,000. Our population within the jail is a vulnerable population just by virtue of who they are and where they're located. So we're protecting that population from potential exposure. There are already nine inmates in the county in isolation at a correctional treatment center. 21 inmates in the quarantine at the Men's Central Jail, and five in quarantine at the Twin Towers Correctional Facility. Staff in these locations are said to be taking the temperature of anyone entering looking for fevers, but that is symptomatic. We know people can transmit this when they are asymptomatic. So yes, I get it. You're looking for fevers, but is that really going to stop this? I don't think so. I don't think we got a handle on this, man. But uh, they say, but staff themselves are also at risk and several have already been, already been placed in self-isolation. Over the weekend, we've had several of our personnel come into contact, and they have been self-isolated, Villanueva said. However, fortunately, no one has actually tested positive for the virus. So that's good for now. Other prisons around the country are taking measures to prevent spread among inmates and staff. The U.S.'s 122 federal prisons and many of the 1,700-plus state prisons have banned visitors and volunteers. The Federal Bureau of Prisons announced its ban Friday, joining most state and county prisons. They have also banned lawyer visits for 30 days. In response, many federal prisons are increasing the number of prisoner phone calls or the total number of minutes allotted. Prisons in Delaware, Georgia, Maryland, Ohio, and South Dakota are looking to expand video calling abilities for inmates. In Cleveland, Ohio, Cuyahoga County's Common Pleas Court held extra hearings on Saturday to try and clear the prison population, releasing 200 people since Friday. Those released were said to be low-level nonviolent inmates who have been placed on probation or released by having their bond reduced to a manageable level. Wait, 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 wait. To a manageable level? Sounds to me like they gave people bond they knew they wouldn't be able to afford. What is this? 
We are trying to make as much room as possible. So when this virus hits our jail, the jail can deal with these people, quarantine them and deal with it instead of letting them sit there and infect the whole entire jail, said administrative judge Brendan Sheehan. You got to remember, the goal of this is to protect the community and the safety of the inmates. If someone's a serious, violent person, well, we are using our discretion to make sure the community is safe. Also, he added, we can see numerous photos. Coronavirus in the, U- in the U.S. has now reached 5,244 known cases. Additionally, staff are reaching out to other jurisdictions regarding detainees who are in custody due to outstanding warrants on low-level offenses. Sheriff staff are asking those jurisdictions to either quash those warrants or geographically limit them so that those detainees can be released from Cook County Jail. New arrivals in Cook County, which is a population of 5,600, will uh, the jail will now be ke- uh, will now be kept in a receiving area to be monitored for symptoms before being placed with the general population. And in Illinois state prisons, the 40,000 inmates plus staff will have increased access to hand sanitizer and soap. In Massachusetts, Essex County Sheriff Kevin Coppinger's office, Coppinger, Coppinger, revealed that 30 men who had been in community, uh, who had been in community sober homes are now at the jail's pre-release center so they could be monitored for illness. Sheriff Coppinger said that it was also that it was so treatment could be provided on site if the men became ill. And in Houston, Texas, the Harris County Juvenile Court announced that the court wing will be fully closed until further notice. A person who had been at the court tested positive for the coronavirus, as did an employee at a correctional facility in Pennsylvania, where 34 inmates and staffers are now in quarantine. Man, there's a lot to this. (laughs) In Brooklyn, District Attorney Eric Gonzalez said Tuesday that low-level offenses that don't jeopardize public safety will not be prosecuted amid the outbreak in an attempt to reduce the potential exposure of employees and visitors to the virus during the arrest, processing, and detention process. During this public health emergency, it is imperative that we also protect those who might be exposed to the coronavirus during the procedures of an arrest, processing, and detention in central booking, he said in a statement posted to Twitter, adding that they will immediately decline to prosecute low-level offenses that don't jeopardize public safety. Now, to a certain degree, I think that's fine, man. I mean, I don't understand why we're constantly locking up people for doing things that don't pose any serious threat to public safety. Now, I get it. There are certain arguments and you, it's hard to know what one would consider to be a threat to public safety. But like personal consumption of certain substances, man, I don't look, I'm very I'm very libertarian minded in that regard. You, you, you want to go do your thing, do it in your home, do it in, your, in the privacy, you know, of your of your own of your own house. And that's fine by me. But there are probably some nonviolent offenses that I'm not thinking of that might well, we might want to keep those people locked up. Suffice it to say, if we're reaching this point where we're now releasing people early and refusing to prosecute low-level offenses, this is, this is I, don't, I don't want to say it, but it feels like the system is, is, is buckling under serious strain. I think we're going to be okay, but man, this is the kind of stuff that freaks me out for sure. The preventative actions come after evidence from previous outbreaks, such as the outbreak of mumps in Texas and New Jersey, in 2019, heightened the risk to the country's prison population. Prisoners have limited access to basic hygiene measures and high rates of existing health issues. Those being held in handcuffs also can't cough into their elbows as advised uh, as advised and alcohol based sanitizer is considered contraband in many U.S. prisons. U.S. prisoners have a higher than average rate of HIV and are more likely to be smokers in the general population and they are an aging population. So they have the statement here. It's posted by the uh, by the AG in Brooklyn. 
They say from 1990 to 2012, the U.S. prison population aged 55 and older increased by 550%. Inmates have no way to social distance or self-isolate if there was an outbreak in prison. You can't keep a two to three foot distance from inmates, and they can't keep that distance themselves. Some experts have advised that the only way to fight against a prison coronavirus outbreak is to reduce the number of imprisoned people. <laughs> oh, man. And this is what Iran did. And they ended up letting out like tens of thousands of people. Some, uh, this method was used in Iran, the country with the third worst outbreak, with 70,000 prisoners temporarily released after China reported three provinces with more than 500 cases in prisons during the height of the outbreak. In the best of scenarios, we would only hope to delay this. Josiah Rich, a Brown University epidemiologist and director of the Center for Prisoner Health and Human Rights, told The Guardian. And because we have so many ill people behind bars, it's going to get there. It's going to spread like wildfire. The United States accounts for 22% of the world's prison population, with around 2.3 million people incarcerated. Look, man, I think it makes sense that we don't want that we don't want these viruses spreading throughout these prisons. And I think if the only solution is to reduce the strain on the, on the prisons, that also makes sense, too. I also recognize this means there's going to be consequences, like I mentioned with San Francisco. We'll see what happens. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. The Democratic primary is descending into absolute chaos. Ohio tried postponing. Apparently a judge intervened. I don't even know what happened. All I know is there was a weird back and forth where people were saying Ohio is not canceling the Democratic primary. Ohio is canceling the primary. Apparently at the last minute, they canceled the primary over in Illinois and Chicago. They are seeing record low voter turnout. I kid you not, nightmarishly bad voter turnout in Florida. The polling stations aren't even opening and people aren't even showing up. As far as anyone can tell, there is no Democratic primary actually functioning right now. I have no idea what's going to happen. They're going to have to void this election. This is getting crazy. Now, I have the AP coronavirus scrambles Democratic contests as three states vote. But let me just show you. I want to show you these tweets before coming back to this. Ohio, they've postponed the primary. Florida workers, no show. I kid you not. People showed up to the polls in Florida. Ain't nobody there. Look at these photos I got, man. This is nuts. First, from Dream Defenders. Today is an election day and no one is at the polls. This is the kind of thing we've been hearing all morning. Shame on DeSantis, Florida, Florida Secretary of State. This person said someone messaged our students for Bernie group chat saying they were the ninth person to vote at their precinct. Voting has been open for three hours. They were the ninth person in three hours. Not, it's, it's, it's record turn. Oh man, this is nuts. Check this out. How's your election day going, says Brian Prigg. Uh, chief technology officer at CarePoint. The sign in the window reads, election judges did not show up. Please contact the county which you live in or the voting website for updates. Here's one from Natasha Karecki, Chicago. On call with reporters, the city of Chicago is reporting extremely low turnout the first couple of hours of voting this morning. We did not have a pre-work rush, rush hour type of rush by any stretch of the imagination. In Chicago, in the first hour of voting, there was just under 10,500 voters. In the second hour, 14,400. By contrast, in a low turnout mayoral election, the city can see 30,000 to 40,000 voters in an hour. On Monday, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot noted, that early voting had broke World War II era records. Dare I say 
Could it have been that people in Chicago and other states were preparing for a major blowout, massive turnout election and the coronavirus hit? So there's a lot of people claiming that this is hurting Trump. But now you've got people claiming it's helping Trump. Literally, people are tweeting out like, who's really benefiting from this? Why? Why would they? Listen, it's Bernie. Bernie is benefiting because Biden's voters aren't going to show up. Now, I guess the problem is Bernie voters don't show up anyway because he has the youth vote. So I don't know who's really benefiting. I'll, I'll take that back and be and say it's, it's, a, it's a bit facetious. Check out this tweet. This woman tweeted from Chicago, Illinois primary in a in a pandemic. First polling place closed. It's a daycare. Second polling place turns me away. They don't have the equipment. 7.30 a.m. Polls open at 6 a.m. Third polling place, no line, reusing pens, minimal sanitizing. How is this a Democratic election? Not to mention the issues behind requiring in-person voting. What if you're elderly? What if you're immunosuppressed? There is no easy answer here, but it's a major U.S. city. We've got to be doing better than this. Why not extend mail-in voting? And yes, they've been called out because apparently they could and they didn't. This person tweeted, election day so far, five to eight election staff are elderly. We were provided with no cleaning supplies. We are missing an entire blue box, meaning anyone who comes to this precinct cannot vote. (laughs) Oh, man, we are missing two election judges and nobody is answering our calls. Voters now showing up and we have to explain that we don't have the supplies for them to vote. Still no cleaning supplies off to a great start. Here's another one. So the polling place at Plumosa Elementary just opened an hour ago after a clerk showed up with appropriate equipment, one poll worker said. But as but as if more couldn't go wrong, the fire alarm went off. What were they thinking trying to have these Democratic primaries right now? It is insane. I don't know what it means. The Democratic uh, the voter turnout is really low, but I think you're going to find they might not be able to actually shut this down. These might be the results. End of story, which means Biden might actually lose this one. I have no idea. On the TV, they're not even talking about the primaries. Normally on primary days, they have primary watch and they're like, the polls are closing at this time. Nobody's taking any of this seriously. It's like it's not even happening. This is crazy, man. Michael Tracy's tweeted, Illinois state law provides for the governor to institute vote by mail procedures in the event of a national emergency being declared. For some unknown reason, Governor J.B. Pritzker refused to follow the lead of Ohio and invoke this power. And the result is chaos. Absolute chaos. Man, I don't know what's going to happen, but I got more. So just the other day, one local network in Illinois accidentally published the results a day early, leading to major cries of conspiracies. Check this out. Oh, I got more for you after this. Station airs Biden Sanders results graphic day before election. And it says President Democrat Biden, 50 percent Bernie, 45 with Biden in the lead. A video has gone viral that shows an Illinois TV station airing primary election results a day before the election happened, including results showing President Donald Trump winning the Republican primary and results showing Joe Biden beating Bernie Sanders. They say the video mistakenly shared test graphics live. The person who posted the video said, now, I think that's fair and probably makes sense. But of course, I'll tell you what people are going to believe. They're going to believe that the DNC made this primary happen because they've already gone to great lengths to rig the whole thing. And that if they stopped now, you know, it would, it would be a wasted effort. No, I'm kidding. I, I, I mean, people would actually think that I have no idea what's going to happen. But I'm, I, think it's, I think it's fair to say that this was just a, a, a complete error. They, they do have to make graphics early and somehow someone put it on TV. So what do, you, what, do you, what do you expect? The New York Times now reporting 
Uh, Voting postponed in five states because of the virus. Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, and Ohio have pushed back their primary elections. Here are the latest updates. No, so we, we get all that. Let's let's go now to what may be the craziest. The 2020 Democratic race could be frozen in place after Tuesday's primaries. First read is your briefing from Meet the Press and the NBC political unit on the day's most important political stories and why they matter. They say it's likely, if not certain, that today's Democratic presidential primaries in Arizona, Florida, and Illinois will be the last ones for the next two months. And it's unclear what exactly is going to happen today in Ohio, where the state's governor said he wouldn't open the state's polling places, defying a judge who declined to postpone the state's primary. It all freezes into place a Democratic nominating contest with uncertainty about when it all begins. All right, conspiracy theory time. Here's what's going to happen. Chaos, calamity, a fight breaks out, Bernie and Biden. Nobody knows how it's going to how it's going to turn out. Everything's in chaos. And all of a sudden, somehow Tulsi Gabbard swoops in, gets the nomination and runs against Trump. OK, that's never going to happen. But she still is in this race, mind you. And that raises questions. Uh, I'll read on. And that raises questions about the state of Bernie Sanders campaign, given that Joe Biden's lead is, gr- is going to grow after tonight's contests. No, no, I'm not convinced. If anything would spark young people rioting, it would be them trying to say these are legitimate results if Biden wins. If Bernie wins, they're going to say they're legitimate results. Results, you didn't show up. People are going to be calling for all of these results to be completely voided, man. They say uh, it's growing tonight's contests about the Democratic convention in July and about whether states and the federal government can institute a vote by mail system. Already Georgia, we, 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 we went through those states. Here is the state of the Democratic race heading into tonight's contests. Joe Biden leads Sanders by 152 pledged delegates. That's with about half of all delegates now awarded, and it will be about 60% done after tonight. Biden has won 870, yada, yada, yada. To reach the magic number of 1991, Biden will need to win 50% of the remaining unallocated pledged delegates. Sanders will need to win 56%. Those numbers will change after tonight, most likely helping Joe Biden and hurting Bernie Sanders. Here's the tweet of the day. Frank LaRose has ordered by the Ohio Department of Health Director, Dr. Amy Acton, and in consultation with Governor Mike DeWine, Ohio's primary has been postponed. So I'll tell you what, man. Bedlam, chaos, ratings of stores, inmates being released. Have you seen my other segments on this? Governor Cuomo. Now, for those listening on the podcast, it's like the third or fifth time you've heard this, but I got to say it for those just watching the segment, said 45 days is when the peak will hit. If you think things are crazy right now, just wait one month before the peak hits. Just wait to the day of that peak in, you know, May or whatever, or April. Beginning of May, we should see the, 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 the climax of the coronavirus pandemic. And with as crazy as, as crazy as this is, they're saying they could postpone the Democratic race for two months. Nah, I think it's going to be worse than that. Some people have speculated that Donald Trump will try and postpone the general election. I think that's getting ahead of ourselves. For the time being, what I can say right now is, Dude, these videos and photos are absolutely bonkers. The Associated Press reporting Florida workers don't even show up. I can't imagine how this will play out. I can't imagine anyone would want to accept this stuff, but uh, I'll leave it there. We got more races coming. The news isn't talking about the primary. It's as though it's no primary happening. So (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. Normally, I track this stuff and I'm like, hey, everybody tune in. So and so is in the lead. And now it's like there's not even an election happening because everything's shut down. I hope you've prepared. I'll see you all uh, at six uh, podcast at 630. And I'll see you tomorrow at 10am on this channel.